Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. So before we start, Kat, is there something you'd like to tell the class? I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. I had, because we're talking about the inventors with the lesser known inventions, and I had something for Benjamin Franklin, and then at the very last minute, I found something else the mechanical bull thing. And I was so excited because I was like, this is so much better than the thing I originally had. And I was like still pulling it up as we started recording. And I did not do my due diligence. So there is no such thing as Ben Franklin's steam-powered mechanical bull. Not as far as I know. Damn it. Well, in this episode of The Box of Oddities... I'm going to talk about the curse of the Iceman. And I'm going to share the very real story of Beatrice Flamini and her 500 Days in a Cave. That's coming up on the Box of Oddities. If it's weird, we talk about it. And sometimes it's true. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. Sometimes my Spanish to English translation thing on my phone doesn't work as well as it should. Mm. I'm looking at some rental properties uh, in in Ecuador, and uh, this one is located in the high penis section. I don't think that's right. (laughs) I've just been having trouble with English lately. I have had several issues where the other day, you know, I was staying at the resort Mm -hmm. and we got this room that was kind of in the back near a pond and there were so many turtles and I was just really enjoying myself sitting there watching the turtles and I was messaging with my friend Erica and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I've been just sitting watching titties all day. And she was like, question mark. And I'm like... 
<clears throat> turtles. Turtles. I've been sitting watching turtles all day. Uh huh. Yeah. And then later, I messaged you about a house that I found for sale. It was only eighty grand, and it was in Maine, and I thought it was really cute, and I could have a duck pond. But instead of writing duck pond, it sent you a text that said it has a fuck pond. <laughs> and I was wondering how that affected the property value. Mm. I, I'm thinking positively. It's uh, not been a great week for me as far as texting goes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I also saw another ad uh, for a place for rent and it gave the price and it said includes utilities, internet, and drugs. <laughs> I wonder what that was supposed to mean. I'm, Amazing. Maybe yeah. it's drugs. Maybe it is. I don't know. Who knows? That could be a great amenity for an apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I need to find a way to come up with 80 grand so I can get that house because I really like it. Oh, my God. If you get a fuck pond, I want to be able to look at titties all day. <laughs> it's only fair. Today, I'm going to talk about the curse of the Iceman. Ooh. For centuries, the concept of cursed artifacts and locations has been part of our collective imagination, mostly because of the Egyptian pharaohs, ancient Egypt in general. It was believed that dire misfortune would befall those who dared to disturb the peace of the pharaoh's tombs. Mm. And that's what you think of normally when you talk about ancient curses. But the pharaohs were not the only ones in their reputed retaliation against those who disturbed their rest. Sure. Today, we're going to talk about Utsi, the Iceman. Aren't you friends with a man named Iceman? Yes, but he's not a 5,000-year-old mummy. Oh, okay. On a sunny afternoon, September 1991, German tourists Helmut and Erica Simon were hiking in the Utsal Alps when they noticed a body entombed in the ice. And initially, they thought it was... Probably a recent fatality, maybe a hiker had fallen to his death or succumbed to the elements. Mm. But the truth turned out to be much more intriguing. They notified rescue and archaeological teams, and it became apparent that this was not a recent death. As they removed the ice, the figure that emerged was a body that was mummified rather than decomposed. Um, State of preservation that suggested that the body had been frozen for a very, very long time. Further studies confirmed that this was correct. They placed Utsi's death at around 3300 BCE, making him over 5,000 years old at the time of his discovery. Wow. And remarkably well-preserved. They called him Utsi because he was found in the Utsal Alps. Utsi was found with all of his clothing, his gear, and that provided a really interesting and unique perspective into the insights of his daily life and, and people during the Copper Age. He wore a cloak that was made out of woven grass. I was just talking with someone the other day about how not enough of us wear cloaks anymore. <laughs> Especially those made with woven grass. Mm. He was also wearing a coat, a belt, a pair of leggings, a loincloth, and shoes, all shoes. made of leather from different skins. He also wore a bearskin cap with a leather chin strap. Saucy. Yeah, if it wasn't a 5,000-year-old mummy, that would be pretty sexy. (laughs) Especially the part about the loincloth and the leggings. I like the chin strap, personally. (laughs) (laughs) The gear that was found with Utsi was equally fascinating. Among the items, a copper axe, flint-bladed knife with an ash handle, a quiver, 14 arrows, and a U longbow. 
He also had a backpack made of larch wood and birch bark, a birch bark container that was possibly used to carry embers around, and an assortment of other tools, including tools made from antlers, uh, flint flakes, which he used to, I would assume, make new blades. Utsi's body was covered also with tattoos. He had 61 tattoos on mm. his body, and they were made out of soot, and they were grouped in lines and crosses, and they theorize that these may have been related to pain relief treatments, similar to what we would call acupuncture or acupressure, because they were located in areas that showed signs of wear and tear on Utsi's body. Oh, okay. One of the most intriguing finds was inside Utsi himself. Advanced imaging revealed that he had a number of health issues, including severe dental problems, Lyme disease, mm. hardened arteries, gallbladder stones, as well as several other maladies. It sounds like haggis when we first adopted him. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> Just throw in flea dermatitis and that's an exact match. Yeah. His last meal preserved in his stomach included uh, meat and wheat, both staples of a Copper Age diet. Sure. Now, again, this was discovered in 1991. In 2001, scientists discovered a flint head arrow lodged in Utsi's shoulder. And that suggested he might have died from this wound. It was a startling revelation that offered a glimpse into the potential violence of his world. They think that he got into some kind of a skirmish and was trying to escape into the Alps. Ah, okay. But he had this wound in his shoulder that eventually became infected and led to his downfall. And as fascinating as this discovery is, what followed is equally as fascinating. There have been a slew of misfortunes involving people who discovered the body or have worked on the body, which has led to speculation that the Iceman carried a curse. The first thing that happened was with Helmut Simon. He was the man who discovered Utzi in 1991. Well, he and Erica. He and Erica. Right. In October of 2004, he embarked on a hiking trip to the exact same place where he found the Iceman. He disappeared during his hike and was missing for eight days. For eight days, they searched for this guy in the Alps. His body was found at the bottom of a 300-foot abyss in roughly the same place and same position as they found Utsi 10 years prior. Oh, wow. But to be fair, hiking isn't exactly the safest pastime. So... You don't know. Uh, pretty sure I do. <laughs> <laughs> Not long after that happened, Dr. Rainier Hen, who was a forensic pathologist and who was among the first to handle Utsi's body during the initial examination was on his way to a conference where he was set to present his latest findings from the examination of the Iceman. On his way to that conference, he was involved in a horrific car accident and was killed at the scene. Oof. This unexpected and sudden death certainly intensified the whispers of the curse's influence. Next in line was Dr. Conrad Spindler. He was a leading archaeologist who initially examined Utsi's remains. He was very one of the very first people to examine the body in forensic surroundings. Okay. In an iconic twist of fate, Spindler, who dismissed the idea of the curse as a media invention and, quote, amusing, 
shortly after that died from complications related to muscular sclerosis. Right. But he had muscular sclerosis. So, I mean, it's like Gerald, who saw the Iceman one time, tragically lost his arm in a chainsaw juggling contest. Shocking. It must be the curse. I just feel like there's a lot. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I think, I think a I, really old man died. Can you believe it? <laughs> oh, it's a curse. Oh, OK. <laughs> then there was Kurt Fritz. He was the mountain guide that led the team to recover Utsi's body initially. Okay. 47 years later, he mysteriously had a heart attack. No. <laughs> Shortly after the discovery, he was leading an expedition to the same area when a rare event took place for this area. An avalanche. And out of the 10 people in the party, he was the only one that died. Oh, that's sad. Oh, it's a curse. Let's move on to... Rainier Holzel, an award-winning filmmaker who produced a documentary about the Iceman's retrieval from his icy grave. Right after the documentary was released, Holzel died of a brain tumor unexpectedly. The seventh person supposedly claimed by the curse was a guy named Tom Loy. He was a molecular archaeologist who discovered, while he was examining Utzi's remains, human blood on Utsi's clothing and weapons that they did DNA testing on and stuff. Got it. Shortly after this, he developed a blood condition, which ultimately led to his death in 2005. What, what year was Utsi discovered? 91. So those are seven people directly connected with the discovery and retrieval and study of Utsi's body that all died in unusual and violent or painful ways. I would say those words being used to describe those deaths are a stretch. You're a stretch. So speculating on why a curse may exist, what, why would there be a curse? Yeah. Number one, disturbing the resting place. One of the most common theories in cases like this involve the notion that disturbing the peace of the deceased is taboo. It's a concept that spans many cultures and many centuries. The whole idea of, I don't know, building a condominium on an ancient native burial site. Yeah, that'll get you choked by a clown. Yeah, or you're, end, you're gonna end up with corpses floating in your pool. Mm-hmm. But Utsi wasn't like laid to rest, right? No, he, he was not. He no. just kind of fell over and died. Yeah, but they chipped him out of a glacier with ski poles. That's disrespectful. Not if the intent is to eventually put him back, you know, and, and lay him to rest respectfully. Oh, they're keeping him in a freezer. It's not respectful. Ted Williams style? <laughs> yeah. They just haul him out and then poke him a little bit. And Is there no intention to re... No, I don't think so. No? No, he's just been on ice in a laboratory since the early 90s. So what he, happened? So he's probably pissed. All right. But here's a question, and I think this is incredibly relevant to this particular discussion. Mm -hmm. um, what came first, his discovery or Encino Man? Ooh, that was right about the same time. Let me see here. Alexa, what year did Encino Man come out? The film Encino Man was released on May 22nd, 1992. So, Encino Man was released six months after the discovery of Utsi. 
Oh, wow. So, I mean, it couldn't have been inspired by Utsi because obviously much more time and effort went into writing that script. Yeah. That took years. Yeah. And a team of celebrated screenwriters. We should watch Encino Man. Do you think this curse has something to do with Brandon Fraser? What's the opposite of a curse? Because that's what I think Brendan Fraser is to us. A discurse. Another potential reason why there may be a curse, violation of ancestral rights. Indigenous communities globally often believe in ancestral veneration and the spiritual power of their forebearers. Kind of goes along with the disturbing the grave thing. But Got it. Slightly different. A less mystical, but... I would say equally compelling theory is that it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy or the power of belief. Once the idea of the curse was introduced, maybe after the first or couple incidents, mm -hmm. those associated with Utsi became more aware of potential threats and conversely took less care due to a fatalistic belief in their doomed fate. I think some doctors might argue with whether multiple sclerosis is just a negative mindset. <laughs> well, maybe in that case. And a brain tumor. Okay, that case. Ten years later. In that case, too, probably, but... Uh... And a car accident. <laughs> no, that that's definitely... <laughs> and another common explanation for the curse, uh, which is a lot harder for me to believe, mm -hmm. is that... Um, it's just a coincidence or statistical probability. Oh, sure. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Each of these deaths or accidents associated with Utsi could have been individual instances of misfortune with no real connecting thread despite mm. the appearances. It could simply be human nature to look for patterns and narratives even when none exist. What a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> even, though the, even though the evidence is circumstantial... Um, the fact does remain seven individuals connected to the discovery, recovery, and study of the Iceman, Utsi, met unfortunate and ultimately early demises. If you consider these incidents not as just random acts, but part of a connected narrative, then the theory of this curse certainly does gain some traction. Well, that's true, yes. If you assume that their deaths are curse-related, then it would absolutely it would lead, lead you to, to the believe. fact that there was a curse. Thank you. Yeah. Finally. Jeez. My source information comes from Utsi the Iceman, South Tyrol Museum of Archaeology, their website. Utsi the Iceman, Discoverer Found Dead by James Owen, National Geographic News from uh, 2004. Death by Misadventure, Utsi's Curse by Heather Pringle. And The Iceman's Curse, Discover Magazine, written by Thomas S. Hall. Well, that was fun. Have you seen pictures? Of Brendan Fraser? Yes. <sighs> no. So many. <laughs> of, let's see. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's amazing how well-preserved he is. It is. It's kooky. 5,000 years old, and his arms still have flesh on them, and, and they can bend and stuff. And yeah. It's, it's crazy. And even though he's, he's been dead for 5,000 years, he still has much better abs than I do. And that's discouraging. <laughs> Talk about a curse. I don't think Pringles count as a curse. Yeah, it's true. I'm on a Pringles and IPA diet, and that doesn't help. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, that thing in the middle. A team of archaeologists, deep within the corridors of ancient Egyptian tombs, made an amazing discovery. Hidden away for over three millennia, they found pots of honey. Now they expected the long-lost honey to be fossilized or transformed into some sort of strange archaeological experiment gone awry. But they were astounded to find the honey was still perfectly edible. After 3,000 years, Museums now house these honeypots with one exhibit aptly titled Sweet Secrets of the Pharaohs. Some things, I guess, are truly meant to be savored forever. Freaks, a Box of Oddities podcast group. That's where you can find so many of us talking about anything and everything. It gets pretty fun and weird, and I like it a lot. Jesse posted one day, just asking for help. Hey, is my baby registry working? Can someone click on this and see if it's working? They then removed it immediately and posted later, To whichever freak bought something off my baby registry when I posted it for less than five minutes to see if it was working, thank you so much for the package of diapers. It's the first baby gift we've received. You really didn't need to. I just posted it to ask if it was working and deleted after a couple of people said that it did, but I really appreciate it. And apparently... More people purchased off that registry, oh and goodness. so it's it's not something that normally we like do. Is you know, here's my baby registry or whatever, right? But that wasn't the intention, and it just ended up being a sweetness fest, and I love it. The freak family, definitely a family. Susan writes, "Hi, Cat and Jethro. My dream is to have a house with a demon trap, secret doors, and a murder hole. So I was delighted to hear about the Knoll House. I live close." To the Fairbanks House, the oldest wooden house in the United States, built in 1637. It's connected to a tragic family murder and has associations to witchcraft. Ooh. The house and its history are discussed on the, in, in parentheses, highly recommended Hub History Podcast, episodes 10 and 178. Not sponsored. 
My family visited the house and saw the hex marks, some photos attached, and also saw where old, used shoes were placed in the wall. Supposedly, the demon or witches would smell the person and go into the shoe looking for them. <laughs> because demons and witches can't back up, they become trapped in the shoe. Oh. How fortunate are we that evildoers are so inept? That is an excellent point. They can curse your soul to hell, but they can't find their way out of a Reebok. I was especially interested in the house because the floor plan is very similar to the house where my great, 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 etc., etc. Grandmother Rebecca Cornell died in 1673. Her son Thomas Cornell was convicted of murdering her and was hanged. The trial is well known because the court accepted spectral evidence. Oh. There's a book about the case. It's called Killed Strangely. Well, I'm going to read that. Thanks, Susan. Penguins also can't back up. Really? Yeah, they can't They can't walk backwards. Huh. So don't leave your shoes lying around a bunch of penguins. You'll never get your feet in them because your shoes will be... Filled with penguins? Filled with <clears throat> penguins in your shoes. I've got penguins in my shoes. On the television. What's he doing? Anyway. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. Find out what's real and what's not when it comes to famous conspiracy theories, like those surrounding notorious assassinations and secret societies. Discover the weak and deceptive underpinnings of modern political ideologies and religious beliefs. Join me as I attempt to shed some light on our historical blind spots. New episodes every two weeks. Find historical blindness on most podcast players and platforms. There are really many reasons to listen to our podcast, Big Picture Science. It's kind of a challenge to summarize them all, Molly. Okay, here's a reason to listen to our show, Big Picture Science, because you love to be surprised by science news. We love to be surprised by science news. So, for instance, I learned on our own show that I had been driving around with precious metals in my truck before it was stolen. That was brought up in our show about precious metals and also rare metals, like most of the things in your catalytic converter. I was surprised to learn that we may begin naming heat waves like we do hurricanes. You know, prepare yourself for heat wave Lucifer. I don't think I can prepare myself for that. Look, we like surprising our listeners. We like surprising ourselves by reporting new developments in science and while asking the big picture questions about why they matter and how they will affect our lives today and in the future. Well, we can't affect lives in the past, right? No, oh, I, I guess that's a point. <laughs> So the podcast is called Big Picture Science, and you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. We are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us. We hope you'll take a listen. This podcast is so fresh out of the oven, we had to use audio oven mitts to upload it. And did you notice they go with my apron? This is The Box of Oddities. Beatrice Flamini was 48 years old. Okay, stop right there. Beatrice Flamini. Is that what you said? Beatrice. Beatrice. Fl Flamini. Flamini. 
What a gloriously poetic name Isn't that it is. beautiful? It's musical. Well, Beatrice was 48 when she went into the cave and 50 when she came out. Oh, my God. Did she bring snacks? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. There were snacks. Trail mix, I assume. <laughs> I think that's what you have to eat when you're climbing a mountain or in a cave. Trail mix. But I pick out the raisins because I don't like raisins. I like golden raisins sometimes, especially on a pizza. And you might say on a pizza, but yeah, if you get like that really rich roasted red sauce pizza with maybe capers and mm -hmm. cauliflower and put some golden raisins on there, it's just the right amount of sweetness. It really cuts the acidity of the sauce and adds a really something special. So she's in the cave Yes. with snacks. Yep, so she's in the cave. <laughs> Beatriz is a Spanish extreme athlete, and she emerged from the cave after spending 500 days in there with no human contact. Wow, that sounds amazing. The cave in Los Gauchos is about three and a half hours from Flamini's home in Madrid by high-speed train, which, by the way, the U.S. really could use the benefits of having more of. I'm just Okay. Flamini's experience is part of a project called Time Cave, which the AP says aims to study how someone would fare going solo underground for so long. Flamini fared well. So kind of a sensory deprivation experiment then? Sort to, of. To kind of cut her off from light and human beings and sound and how did she have a watch or a clock or anything did she have any way to mark time no oh that must have really messed her head up she said i was sleeping or at least dozing off when they came down to get me according to the guardian i thought something had happened i said already no way i haven't finished my book <laughs> <laughs> the truth is how long was her book she'd finished 60 books oh, god Flamini's support team said she broke a world record for the longest time spent in a cave in an experiment monitored by scientists studying the human mind and circadian rhythms. Flamini began her challenge on Saturday, November 20, 2021. A team of scientists from the universities of Almeria, Granada, and Murcia kept in touch with her using special limited messaging technology. If they needed to be in touch with her, they had the ability to, but it was still not a, hey, what's up, beep, bop, boop, boop kind of situation. Right. Uh, there was a technical problem which forced Flamini to briefly pause the challenge around day 300. The Associated Press reported that she spent eight days in a tent above ground without making contact with anyone before returning to the cave. Apparently there was some sort of issue with a router or something. And mm -hmm. so they sent her a message in the most basic fashion that they could that said, you have to come out and get in this tent. No one's going to you know, look at you. There was no one around. There was no interaction. Mm -hmm. There was no words shared. It was just out of the cave, into the tent. And the, the issues were fixed. She went back into the cave after eight days. So the entire length of her experiment was 509 days okay. because she spent the full 500 in the cave just with that eight-day intermission in that weird tent. Before going underground, she told her team not to contact her under any circumstances, even 
a family member's death. Ooh. She didn't want to know about it. She wanted to commit herself to what was going on. A spokesperson for the group said that the isolation experiment was Flamini's own idea and that she had approached the production company with the pitch and she was so dedicated to it. If I say it's no communication, it's no communication, regardless of the circumstances. The people who know me knew that and respected that, she said. You have to be focused. If I got distracted, I'll twist my ankle, I'll get hurt, it'll be over, and they'll have to get me out, and I don't want that. Flamini and this team of scientists had arranged for a collection point where they would deliver her fresh food, including special treats, like every once in a while she'd get an avocado or fresh eggs or something like that. And then they would remove her waist, quote, every five poos. Okay, so they were on a five poo schedule. Uh, Yep. She said, I left my offerings there as if to the gods, (laughs) and the gods left food for me. Wow. Yeah. It's got to create some weird mental thing, though. I hope that that doesn't carry on into outside life. Like, here's some poop. Can I have some toast? (laughs) Flamini spent her time underground doing exercises. Keep in mind, she's an extreme athlete, so mm-hmm. she, she spent a lot of time working out, painting and drawing, knitting woolly hats. She said that the only time she spoke aloud was using her GoPros to document the experience. She said that she talked to herself, but she talked to herself internally, which mm. is something I am not good at. No, no, you're not, especially when we're watching a movie or something i'm not talking to myself i'm talking to you because you need to hear what i have to say (laughs) when you get upset with a character in a tv show or a movie you just you're unrelenting in your dressing down of that character it doesn't happen that much it's just that this show that we're watching currently has been especially hard for me ben stone is the worst he's the (laughs) worst television character i can think of in recent history yeah so you never go on tirades about Ben Stone is what you're... I didn't say that. I just said it's not something that I do a lot. There's not a lot of shows where I like freak out and, uh-huh. and, and yell at the and, television. And, and in all fairness, but, I've, I've been egging you on talking about how great he is. Yeah. And then last night you're like, I'm, I'm glad that you're finally picking up on this Ben Stone being awful thing. It's what I've been saying all <laughs> along. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to smother you with a pillow. <laughs> It's awful. Anyway. Anyway, Manifest. It's a good show. Watch it. I don't know if that was the intention when the writers were writing this or not, but he's the worst. It's like he just singles out like one thing and then nothing else matters. And he continually talks about how he's protecting his family and he's not. We don't have that many episodes left. I'm really excited to wrap this up because I'm curious to see what's going to happen. Jeez, I hope he dies. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, You were something about a cave you were talking about. Yeah. Most of Flamini's experiences, she said, were absolutely amazing. She had to focus on retaining coherence, obviously, because it's a weird situation. Mm. There's no way to keep track of time. There's no one to talk to. There's there's nothing really going on. It's a cave, you know? Mm-hmm. So she just focused on eating well and relishing the silence, being very present in the moment. While psychologists, researchers, and cave specialists, as well as her physical trainer, monitored her looking for insight into how uh, social isolation and disorientation can affect time, brain patterns, and sleep. 
She said that there were hard moments, such as when the cave was invaded by flies, and she experienced auditory hallucinations and became completely covered in flies, and she couldn't make them stop, and it, like, (sighs) blew her mind. I wonder if that was an hallucination. The flies? Yeah. Just brought on by the stress of being in the cave? I don't know. Maybe. I, I mean, don't know. Overall, she said it was a really nice experience. So <laughs> I, Except for all the flies. Well, that if you're saying that flies were the hallucination, then... Well, still wouldn't be a very good experience. At times like that, I think it's important to think, what would Ben Stone do in a situation like this? Why are you doing this to me? Because <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> Even the flies, she said, didn't tempt her to hit the panic button. She said, in fact, I didn't want to come out. (laughs) She began her challenge trying to keep track of time, just in her own brain. On day 65, I stopped counting, she said, and lost all perception of time. She said, after she'd been taken out of the cave, that she thought she'd only been there for about 160 or 170 days. Wow. Yeah. That must have been the, the, the strangest effect of all. Yeah. Is just having no idea as time passes how much has passed. Right. When she emerged from the cave, April 14th, she was wearing dark sunglasses. As you can imagine, sunlight would take mm. some getting used to. She said it was an unbeatable experience. And her first words were, who's buying the beer? <laughs> She thanked her supporters and spent nearly an hour talking to reporters who had gathered outside, and she met with doctors, which she will be doing a lot of, as the doctors want to study the impacts of her cavey isolation on her body and mind. Scientists at Spanish universities and a Madrid-based sleep clinic are studying her experience to determine uh, the impacts, as I said, of social isolation and extreme temporary disorientation on things like the perception of time, as we talked about, and how sleep is affected, your circadian rhythm, your natural Mm. ins and outs of sleep. One thing that she has mentioned as being not necessarily a problem so far, but of note, is that she still feels like it's 2021. Really? That's fascinating. She's literally been living under a rock. So she didn't know, like, the queen had died. And she didn't know that there was a war going on in Ukraine. And, you know, these things Mm. were all, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, by the way, this happened. It's almost like you've been asleep. That actually sounds kind of appealing right now with the way the world is. I understand that. 500 days, you don't have to watch the news or talk to people. That sounds pretty good. Where do we sign up? Could we do the podcast? I don't think so. We'd have to take some time off. I don't know if I could do that. I know. That would be, I think, one of the worst parts of being in a cave for 500 days. (laughs) I miss my friends. I miss my my podcast friends. My my freak friends. (laughs) She said, I've been silent for a year and a half, not talking to anyone but myself. While reporters were asking her for more details, she was like, guys, I have to take a shower. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, haven't, uh, I haven't taken a shower in a year and a half. I'll tell you more in a little while, okay? Yeah, yeah. Well, that explains the flies. <laughs> um, her associates were helping her while she was being interviewed. Um, keep her balance because she was having a hard time maintaining balance. And what specifically affected that, I'm not sure. So it'll be interesting to follow up with her doctor's notes and see what exactly was going on there. She said she was looking forward to a plate of fried eggs and chips with friends and then planning new mountaineering and caving projects. 
A Spanish production company plans to turn her experience into a documentary, which I think really could go either way. Interesting or very, very boring. Because she did film a lot of stuff on her GoPro and they can use that footage to, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. Right. Otherwise, you know, just setting a camera up facing the cave, <laughs> that would be really boring. Day 412, still no activity. A spokesman for Guinness Book of World Records wasn't able to confirm whether there was a record for voluntary time living in a cave. Because if so, probably Flamini had broken it. Um, currently, the longest time survived is a trapped underground record. Mm. And that was held by the 33 Chilean and Bolivian miners who spent 69 days trapped in 2010. Different circumstances. Certainly. And so I would think there would be a different record for that. So also curious to see how that winds up. So Beatrice Flamini, 500 days, well, 509 days in a cave. Sign me up. I got my information from BBC, NPR, NBCNews.com. And thank you very much to Ducky for the recommendation. Ducky. Ducky's been with us a long time. I finally got my top contributor badge on the Freaks Group. <laughs> <laughs> that took a long time. That's hilarious. What was even more hilarious was the responses that that evoked. Yeah, someone said, what, are they just giving them out willy-nilly now? <laughs> if you've not checked out the Freaks, a box of oddities group on Facebook, it's a very simple process to join. You just have to agree not to be a shitbag. Pretty much. Yeah. You would be shocked at how many people answer, I do not agree to this. Really? Well, then you can't be in the group. <laughs> they really do? The, yes. Huh. Yeah. I don't know if it's supposed to be like in jest, but... You don't get in. No. <laughs> no. Wow. Anyway, thanks again for hanging out with us. We will see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com on Facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on Twitter at box of oddities and Instagram at box of oddities podcast copyright 2023 all rights reserved say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from.
join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.